All right, well, good morning, everyone. Find your places. Let's, uh, let's get started. Hey, I want to uh, just kind of start out by asking you a question. I don't know if you've ever noticed. I mean, in a, I've, I noticed in our, in our world, in our culture that we live in, you know, we really, people really do value their privacy. And, and we enjoy being able to do what we want to do in our private worlds and, and not have anybody necessarily bug us about it, leave us alone, be able to do what we have the freedoms to do, and, and all that's fine. And, and yet at the same time, closed up in our houses with the doors locked and enjoying our privacy, we then take all our lives and post it on social media. <laughs> it's just the weirdest thing. And so and when we post it all on social media, and then what happens? Then we post it, we, we love the privacy, yet we put it out there. We put it out there and then people read it and look at it and begin to make value judgments on who we are based on what they see on just a one-sentence post or a photo or whatever, and maybe you were just trying to be funny and somebody judges you for it or whatever. And at the end of the day, then we're like mad because we're like, who, man, what are you? Get out of my business and who are you to judge me and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a weird thing, you know? So we like, we want to be private, but we put it out there and then people say stuff and we're like, stop it. And have you noticed that? <laughs> well, we're kind of dealing with that issue here today because it's kind of funny. When people don't want to be judged. We, we just don't. We don't want people judging us. And it's not just lost people in this world. I mean, it comes into the Christian world. And, and if you've been around church at all, maybe you've learned a few Bible verses. And in this subject, one of the favorite Bible verses of people who hold this uh, opinion about, about leave me alone is in your notes, it's uh, Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 1, right? And it says, judge not that you be not judged. And so, you know, if anybody's ever kind of getting up into your space or whatever and you kind of don't like it, you might go ahead and throw out a Bible verse. It's got a little more authority than just saying, stop it, right? You're like, Jesus said, you know. I mean, the politicians do it, right? They quote the Lord if it's to their favor, you know what I mean? They'll do whatever they can. And so we do that and we say, judge not that you be not. Now, by the way, the Bible does say that. I mean, Jesus really does say that. And... Uh, What's happened is, and this is my observation, that in our modern society, that, that modern liberal man, and I don't mean liberal politically, I mean th that we enjoy our freedoms, who we are as people, um, we, we do want to live free from any form of judgment. Uh, uh, we want everybody to tolerate whatever we do, and so the only way that we can pull that off is we have to then be tolerant of what everybody else does. And what we've begun to see, and for a long time now, it's developed into a world of everybody is required now to be tolerant of everybody else's view or lifestyle choice, no matter how perverted that lifestyle choice may be and non-biblical it may be. And so it all stems from, in my opinion, fear. It stems from the fear of somebody judging us. And so we say, look, I'll be tolerant of you and your choices and what you do, so keep your nose out of my business. I'm extending to you this courtesy. How dare you judge me? And that's kind of how it plays out. And this whole world has so, you know, gone downhill to the point now where that's how we think. It's, it's become a, a value of our society. And, you know, that kind of a life, Although purported to be freedom and liberty, it's really bondage. That kind of a life is not freedom at all. It's, it's really anarchy is what it is, where there are no rules and there's nobody judging or, or keeping track of anybody else. Uh, society as a whole has to have rules. And the very fact, by definition of the fact that there need to be rules in society, require that somebody polices our behavior, Right? You go to Romans chapter 13 and it refers to that very thing where it says that the people who police our behavior for good or bad, literally they are the ministers of God. And so there has to be some level of judgment that goes on if we're going to function in a healthy society. Jesus said in John chapter 7, also in your notes, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And that's the greatest way to put it, obviously, because things are just not like they seem all the time. Isn't that right? Things aren't always as they seem. And so if you judge according to appearance, you could make the wrong judgment. But if you judge righteously, 
And what does that mean? Well, you judge the type of judgment Jesus would judge. You have to judge based on an absolute standard, not a relative standard. And the only absolute standard that we know of is the Word of God. It's truth. John 17 tells us that. Thy Word is truth. And so where we're at today is in John chapter 18. If you haven't opened your Bibles there yet, please do. And we're in the last part of John chapter 18, and our story begins with the statement in verse number 28. That's where we're going to begin studying today. It says, they led Jesus unto the hall of judgment. And what we're going to see is Jesus Christ being questioned and judged by Pilate. What we'll also do is go back a few verses into some verses that we didn't address directly last week where Jesus was also being directly questioned and judged by the high priest, okay? And so this is kind of what we see going on, and in this interaction that we'll see primarily from verse 28 to the end, there are some very practical lessons that can help you today in your life. So I call this message, Who's Judging Whom?, and as we see in the life of the high priest or in Pilate, we need to be very careful, y'all, that we do not put ourselves in the place of judging Jesus Christ. Because one thing that the absolute truth of God's word tells us is there will be a day when he will judge us. And so let's read together and let's just see what God has for us. We're going to start in verse number 28. Please just follow along with me. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. And it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, the they there being the, the multitude of the Jews, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a male factor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. And then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It's not lawful for us to bring any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? I love the way Jesus answered. Pilate answered, verse 35, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation, chief priests, have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered unto the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I'm a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Good conclusion. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. We're going to see some really great lessons today. Let's ask the Lord to teach us. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, I pray that as we look at this, what seems like a ridiculous exchange, that these men would stand in judgment of you. Maybe isn't so ridiculous. Lord, maybe in our own way, in our own hearts, maybe not on this grand of a scale, we do the same thing. Maybe we judge you. And in so doing, make a huge mistake. But Lord, as we walk through the text that you've given us, it's inspired, it's holy, it's pure. As we look at what you have chosen to tell us about this whole exchange, and we see how you respond and how they respond and how all this plays out, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just drive into our hearts the lessons of life that you want us to understand. Lord, this book is the book of life. You are the author of life. You are the one who understands the very fabric of our existence. I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us so that we could better know you, so that we could better live our lives to the fullest in, in the joy and abundance that you promise and that we might know you 
and understand how we can live above this level of really craziness that exists in sinful man society. So, Lord, we look to you for these things. We thank you in advance in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, the first thing that we're going to see is what I'm calling a perverted reproach, a perverted reproach. And in this case, what we're going to do is we're going to look at people or people groups. And the first people group that we're going to focus on is the Jews. It's the mob. It's the mass of people that bring Jesus Christ to this point of judgment before Pilate. And so in so doing, what they are doing, the Jews are bringing a reproach against Jesus Christ. They are judging him. They are bringing him to be judged. And this reproach that they bring against Jesus Christ, it is perverted. It is false. It is sinful. It is wrong, okay? It is selfish. And so if we just look at the interaction and, and we jump in there, and like in verse number 29, you know, Pilate ultimately goes to Jesus and he, or to the Jews and he says, what accusation bring ye against this man? And, and they answer and say, if he were not a male factor, we wouldn't bring him unto you. A male factor. Okay, we're going, to do, we're going to clarify a little bit. What? I mean, does that mean if he were not a man? No, that's not what it means. Because they're not parading every male human being in front of Pilate. Of course not. A male factor is an old word, okay? And literally what the word male factor means is an evildoer. Okay, the exact same word that's translated male factor here, if you went over to First Peter, is translated in several places, evildoer. Okay, that's literally what it means. Now, those of you who studied some Latin languages, like in Spanish, the word mal, that means bad. Okay, that's kind of where it comes from. Male factor comes from a Latin root. So he's a male factor. He's an evildoer. In fact, if you took the time and went over into Luke chapter 23 and Luke's version of this whole crucifixion thing, it calls the other two thieves that ultimately are crucified with Jesus Christ, it calls them evildoers, male factors. Okay, so the point is, is that they are saying, look, if Jesus were not this bad, it was, he's done such evil that he is worthy of capital punishment. That's what they're saying. Because they're saying, what accusation do you bring? And they're like, look, Pilate, you know us. We wouldn't bring a guy to you if he wasn't obviously guilty of something so heinous that he needs to be put to death for. And you know what? It's interesting is because the Jews are just liars. I mean, they are just so full of themselves that they are not consistent. They are hypocrites. They say, look, if he were not a male factor, if he were not worthy of death, we wouldn't have brought him to you. Now, Pilate, if you don't already know, is the Roman governor over the territory of Judea. He's not a Jew. That's why he says later on, am I a Jew? He's not a Jew. But they're bringing them to the Roman government to be executed. Okay, but if you were to fast forward a little bit, for example, a very clear example in the Bible, Acts chapter 7, the Jews are equally frustrated with a man by the name of Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches the truth about Jesus Christ, and they did not bring Stephen to Pilate. They just took a chunk of stones and they killed him on the spot. I mean, the Jews are just liars. I mean, they've just got an agenda, and so that's what they're doing. And so their judgment of Jesus is that he's evil. By the way, if you go back to Matthew chapter 12 or Mark chapter 3 and the different places where the Bible records what we commonly refer to as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Basically, they, they look at Jesus Christ and his life and his ministry and they attribute the life and ministry and miracles of Jesus Christ to the devil. And ultimately, that's a major turning point in Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 13. Immediately, Jesus begins to speak to them in parables. He begins to veil his truth because there's obviously some people that are so perverted, they see God Almighty in human flesh doing nothing but good, and they say he's of the devil. And literally, that's what we're seeing here. They're delivering him up under that kind of a level. So Pilate, and just got to see God's hand in the background working this thing, because Pilate says, judge him according to your laws. Well, that had to have been kind of a backhanded slap in the face whether Pilate understood it or not because the Jews that would have brought him here, again, they're associated with the high priest. These are Pharisees. These are people who knew the Old Testament law and would have understood very clearly that everything that they were doing in bringing Jesus Christ to Pilate violated their own Old Testament law. 
And there's one reference that you might look at in Deuteronomy 17. There's many throughout the Old Testament law, okay? But basically, some of the things that we see that are against the law that they were doing is they bring Jesus into trial, and there is no witness for the defense. There are only witnesses for the prosecution. Uh, There's a total violation of jurisprudence. There is no legal protocol going on. This is a mob scene as they are pushing Jesus to an ultimate uh, false judgment. Uh, The witnesses that are called, they don't even corroborate each other's stories and the accusations that fall. That's why ultimately Pilate's going to say, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. Uh, There's violence in the courtroom. We'll go back and look again when he was before uh, Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest, and how they slapped Jesus and hit him when he was just answering the, the questions that they were talking about. And as the Roman government ruled Judea, the Roman government really is the only one who had the legal right to take somebody under arrest and then try them and then certainly execute them. But they kind of did the citizen's arrest thing and brought him in to Pilate. I mean, everything they did violated the way God set up a system in the society ought to behave under laws. And so Pilate says, you judge him. And then they say, yeah, but it's not lawful for us to put any man to death. You liars. You liars. I pointed out Deuteronomy 17, and among many, many places, there's all kinds of things in the Old Testament. If a man does this, he shall be put to death. And blasphemy, okay, was one of those things. A man was to be stoned to death if he was a blasphemer against God Almighty. And so they just absolutely were chunking their own system of law they just wanted to drive their own agenda and so god behind the scenes is using all of this craziness to yet still fulfill the scripture because he says that that was spoken as look it's not lawful for us to put a man to death yes it is and the method by what you're accusing him of blasphemy by claiming to be god and be the king of the jews according to your law you would kill him with stones Well, Jesus back in John chapter 3 when he said, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus Christ was to die on a Roman cross. And the fact that the Jews didn't follow their own procedure ultimately then fulfilled what Jesus said about the type of death that he was going to experience. And there's other prophecies, for example, on how none of his bones would be broken. I promise you people who die by stoning have bones broken. In the process. So, all of these things you see the invisible hand of God behind them, although nevertheless the Jews are just ridiculously judging Jesus against all logic and legal um, protocol. So, what exactly is the accusation of the Jews against Jesus Christ? You have to go to Luke's account of this gospel. And in Luke chapter 23, basically they bring two accounts against him, and they say that he is perverting the nation and that he is forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. You see, they had to get Pilate on their side. They had to figure that if we make him a threat to Rome, that Pilate will step in. But those, those, both those things are false. In fact, you can go into Matthew chapter 17, and that's that story where Jesus with Peter, and Peter's like, hey, Jesus, they want us to pay our taxes. You know, we don't have any money. And Jesus says, okay, no problem. Go out and go fishing. And when you throw in your line and you catch a fish, the first fish that you catch is going to have money in its mouth. That's really cool. And you get that there'll be enough in there to pay for you and me. So just a sidebar. This is a different message. You got money problems? Go fishing. Just, that's free. You can have that. Later on, you know, they bring the money to Jesus. Whose inscription is this? You know, and he says, look, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, context money, and render unto God that which is God's. Not only did Jesus pay his taxes, he taught everybody else to do likewise. All these accusations are ridiculously false. The last thing that they bring before him is that he claims to be a king. Again, potentially threatening Rome and Caesar. And the fact of the matter is, although Jesus, without a doubt, is the king of the Jews, and he refers to his kingdom a little later on, You go back in the narrative of Jesus' life in the Gospels and Jesus himself never claimed to be a king. He never did. So it's not totally wrong that he is who he is, but nevertheless, he never really claimed to be so. So everything that they're doing is ridiculous. And so the thing I want us to learn from this and and, and where we really need to understand this is this in the world of judging Jesus, that's obvious, is, is that human nature 
is depraved. Human nature is, we have a fallen, sinful, corrupt, unholy nature that is in every single one of us. And what we see in this story magnified is that man will lie, cheat, steal, and even kill to justify doing whatever it is he wants to do. And what you need to understand, and, and love me through this, okay, because this point, the finger points at every single one of us. This nature that we read about in these stories, it is in every single one of us. And, and if you, for some reason, hear that and, and are a little bit, you know, twisted thinking, man, I, I'm not as bad as that. I, I'm, I'm sure you've never done things as bad as that. But understand the nature is in you. It is in me. And if you have never seen yourself behave that badly, maybe it's just because you've never been pushed that far. If any of us are pushed that far, the potential exists to behave very, very badly. Whether you're saved or not, it really doesn't matter. And so I want to bring your attention just to a few verses of Scripture that will remind you of that. In Isaiah chapter 53, the great prophecy of Jesus Christ It says in verse number six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, on Christ, the iniquity of us all. The psalmist, Psalm 130 and verse three says, if thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? If God kept track of sins, we're all hosed. We're all in trouble. And everybody's probably familiar with Romans chapter 3. Verse number 10, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have it in us. We are all capable of doing this kind of thing. Some contemporary examples, and, and you can think of your own that maybe you've experienced. I lived in a country that was dominated by people who were trained to be atheists. And the most common argument that an atheist would use against the existence of God or in some form of judgment against this notion of God is they would say something like this. It is impossible for this God to be both all-powerful and good by virtue of the fact that evil exists in the world. Let me say that again in case you didn't catch it. If, since there is evil, and we know that, If there were a God, like we say the Bible says there is, that is all-powerful and all-good, then he would have the power to make sure only good happened. So either he's not all-powerful and bad stuff happens because it's just outside of his control, or he's all-powerful but he's really not all that good (laughs) because he's powerful enough and has the bad stuff happen too. And so they ultimately judge wrongly. There's no God, or he is some lesser form of God than God really is. But we as Christians are not immune from this kind of a irrational, I would say, logic and reasoning. And so we might play it out more like this. We're trying really hard to live our lives right and to serve the Lord and to be good citizens and nice people, et cetera, et cetera. And yet... This evil I talked about, bad things happen in our lives. Things go wrong and you lose your jobs and you get in fights with people and and your house burns down and whatever happens, bad things happen. People you love pass away, young babies, things, terrible things, wrong things, abuses happen. It happens and it happens to us. It happens to everybody. And when we are in the tough times, when those bad things might be happening to us, we are tempted and maybe succumb to the temptation to say things like, yeah, God, why'd you do that? Why, God, did you do that to me? And we begin to judge like God is on some mission to destroy our lives. Now, we might later on understand that we were just emotional. Okay, but we do that, don't we? And we put ourselves, even if for a moment, in the judgment seat. Let's lead Jesus to the judgment hall and we will sit in judgment of how he is playing out my life, whether it's acceptable to me or not. 
I want to bring your attention to a little passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 13. First five verses. It says, There were present at that season some that told him, Jesus of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So there was some human sacrifice blood that got mixed in with the animal sacrifice blood. It's a terrible, terrible thing that would happen to a Jew. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? Do you think that this bad thing happened to them because they were extra bad sinners? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He gives another example. Are those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them? Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And we see bad things happen to good people, and we want to judge, and we want to say, well, I mean, they must really have something wrong with their life. I mean, God's coming down hard on them, and God says, no, 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 you don't understand. You're just as bad as they are. We're all just as bad as everybody else. We're all sinful in nature. And if you don't repent of your sin, you also will perish. Because bad things kind of happen to everybody. And we need to be very careful that we don't bring this kind of a reproach against God. Well, let's move on in our story and look at Jesus Christ. This is a much more positive side of it, okay? And, and, and the way I word it is this. With Jesus Christ, we're going to look for a patient response. Jesus' response in the midst of this ridiculous accusation is very patient. And he's questioned by Annas, he's questioned by Caiaphas, he's questioned by Pilate. Before he's done, he's going to be sent to Herod. I mean, he's questioned by all these people, and Jesus remains calm. In fact, literally, he answers nothing directly to the accusations that are brought against him, false accusations. We saw in Isaiah 53, 6 and Isaiah 53, 7, talking about him, it says he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. And if you went to Matthew's version of this story in Matthew chapter 27 and how Jesus would not defend himself verbally, the Bible says that Pilate marveled he was blown away. I've never seen a man before me in judgment, Pilate would say, that had these accusations brought against him and had nothing to say on his own behalf. It just blew him away. And so a little bit earlier, and I told you last week we'd look at this in, in uh, John chapter 18, a little bit earlier and starting in verse 19, Jesus is before Annas, who was a high priest, and then ultimately is sent to Caiaphas, who was also a high priest, and it says in verse number 19, the high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. And, and Jesus basically says to him, I spake openly in the world, verse 20, I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple where the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me. I have said unto them, behold, they know what I said. Now think about this. Jesus is brought in before the high priest and they're like, tell us about your disciples. Tell us about your doctrine. Tell us about your teaching. And he's like, what are you asking me for? Everything I've said, I've said in public. Ask these guys. These guys heard what I said. He doesn't defend himself at all. He really doesn't give any answer about what he believes. He doesn't give any answer about his disciples. He's just like, just ask them. What are you asking me for? And after that happens, you get in verse 22, and when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? And how does Jesus respond? Very calmly. Jesus answered in verse 23, If I've spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Well, what are you guys fired up about? Did I say something wrong? If I said something wrong, prove it. And if I didn't say anything wrong, what are you hitting me for? That's self-control, man. I mean, he had it going on. The Apostle Paul, maybe the greatest human example of a spirit-filled Christian, didn't do so good under the same circumstances. 
Paul in Acts 23 is brought before different levels of judgment and is accused of very similar things. Paul is accused of sedition against the government. Paul is accused of destroying the temples, okay? And so Paul is giving an answer for himself, and again, the servant of the high priest, they had their way, didn't they? He slaps Paul across the face. And when the servant of the high priest slaps Paul across the face, he responds and says, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. He lost his temper, man. What are you hitting me for, you whatever, you know, fill in the blank? You fake, hypocrite, religious dude. That's the nice version. PG version. He got mad, man. He got fleshly, just like any of us would. Jesus is above all of that. Jesus didn't do that. He was very, very calm. So back with Jesus in verse 33. Well, art thou the king of the Jews? What's Jesus say? Did you figure that one out on your own, or did somebody tell you? It's awesome. In other words, he doesn't really answer him. We're, we're going to get to this in a minute. You know, you know what Jesus is trying to get to? Look, Pilate, you come to your conclusions about me. They came to their conclusions. You come to yours. You know what Jesus is saying to each and every one of us today? You come to your conclusion about me. Other people in this room came to their conclusions. You come to your conclusion about me. You should notice that if you can remember back to John chapter 4 and Jesus is dealing with an openly sinful, fornicating woman that he meets at a well in Samaria. And this woman had been with many men and the man she's now with is not her husband. And through that conversation, she says, you know, we've heard that there will be a man who will come who will be the Messiah, who is the Christ. And Jesus said to her, very much unlike Pilate or Annas. Yeah, I who speak unto you am he. See, Jesus had no problem telling you who he was depending on your attitude of asking. You see that? He's way more open with the fornicating woman who was sincere than with the self-righteous Jews or those that sat in judgment in the Roman government. And so he's like, hey, are you a king of the Jews? Oh, did you come up with that on your own? Somebody else tell you. And, and Pilate's getting mad. He's like, am I a Jew? Can you just, I mean, you just got to hear it in his voice. Am I a Jew? Your high priests, your people brought you to me. What did you do? I got no horse in this race. I got nothing to do with you Jews. I just run the government, that's all. And he's getting mad. <laughs> and then Jesus answers. My kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. But now is my kingdom not from hence. And so, the ultimate issue with Pilate, he represents Caesar, he represents Rome. Is this man a threat to our government? That's what he's interested in. He's a king, they say. Only There's only one king, it's only Caesar. And they're saying, oh, he's a threat to Caesar. Jesus says, look, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, we'd be fighting. We're not fighting. And Pilate ultimately is going to say, yeah, he's no threat. He's no threat. I want you to understand something. I want you to look with me at these verses because this is good. In verse number 36, when Jesus gives this answer, look with me at the scripture. It says, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered unto the Jews. Notice, but here's the key word you got to get now. That word now is very important, but now is my kingdom, not from hence. Please understand that Jesus Christ's kingdom today is a spiritual kingdom. But there's coming a day when it will become physical. It will return and land on planet earth. And it says in Revelation chapter 11 that the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And it will be taken, the kingdoms of planet earth at the second coming of Jesus Christ will be taken over by armed force. And we will reign forever and ever and ever. It will be a literal kingdom. There are people who will read into that and ignore 
the word now. There are some Bible versions that eliminate the word now. And they lead you to wrongly conclude that Jesus' kingdom is only and forever will only be spiritual. And that's not true. Now it is, but it will be physical. And when it will be physical, his servants will fight. And when they will fight, they will win. (laughs) And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And Jesus Christ just lays it across the plate waist high, man. And just says, what are you going to do with that? It's more than just a spiritual kingdom. Listen, notice this. When you know that you're right, you don't have to fight. That, that's good. You ought to write that down. When you know that you're right, you don't have to fight. Notice, while Jesus is not answering his accusers, He is saying a lot of really good stuff. He's putting out some truth. He's just not dealing with the whole back and forth on ridiculous accusations. Allow allow me to tell you that that is a very difficult thing to do. When people are coming at you and they are coming at you wrongly, Don't you want to jump up on a pedestal on the housetops and just shout how you are being mistreated and clarify how you are right and they are wrong? Of course you do. Of course we all do. But you don't have to do that. Now that does not mean, please do not misunderstand me, that you never defend yourself. It does not mean that you never speak on behalf of a situation, or you never respond to your accusers. In this case, Jesus Christ is absolutely, literally fulfilling the will of God, and he is ultimately looking forward to the cross that he knows is right in front of him and he must accomplish. He tolerates all of this human judgment because there is a greater mission to be accomplished. And many years ago, God gave me this verse in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 17, the very end of that little book of Colossians. And I love this. It spoke to me a lot. It says, and say to Archippus, verse 17, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. And the circumstances of my life at that time were such that I was busy doing my thing in Albania and there was trouble in my home church and a lot of people were calling me and asking me, hey, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And ultimately, God showed me Colossians 4.17 to say, you know what, Jeff? Your ministry isn't in the United States. Your ministry is here in Albania. Take heed to the ministry that I've given you. You fulfill that. And what happens is is we get involved in everybody else's squabbles, and we want to stick our nose in and get all the dirt, and we want to give our two cents worth and then walk away. And all that does is distract you and waste your time and take you away from being focused on the mission that God has given you to do. And so Jesus doesn't bother with that. Pilate asks him, so, okay, this kingdom thing, so are you king or what? You say so. (laughs) I mean, are you finally coming to that conclusion, Pilate? You say so, right? Then he says, to this end was I born. Well, he's not referring to to this end of being a king. He's not even referring to this end that I'm going to be crucified. He's referring to this end was I born, right? That I should bear witness of the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And he doesn't say, but he's saying it while he's not saying it. Do you hear my voice? Pilate and going to love that. Jesus doesn't fight for himself, but he does stand for what is absolute truth. He's humble, he's polite, he presents truth, and he just leaves it laying there for everyone to decide for themselves what they want to do with it. Early in, earlier in John's account of Jesus' life in the gospel in chapter 7 and verse 18, he kind of defines who is true. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. In John chapter 8 and verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Tolerance doesn't make you free. The lack of judgment doesn't make you free. 
What makes you free is absolute truth. A little further down in that chapter, verses 46 and 47. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. You therefore hear them not, because you're not of God. He was speaking to the Pharisees. You don't hear God's words. You don't understand what I'm saying to you clearly. Why? Because you're not of God. You're not interested in hearing. And basically the same message Jesus gives to Pilate. Are you in a dispute? You got people coming after you? You got misunderstanding and accusations going around in your life? Oh, certainly not to this degree. You got things happening that people are just kind of twisted with you and saying stuff that just isn't right? Is it possible that you can trust God enough and just kind of wait it out? Is it possible that you don't necessarily have to fight back, that you can be calm, that you can have a patient response? Christ did. Well, the last thing we're going to see, and this is very, very practical, is a personal responsibility, and this is going to focus on the man pilot. You know, I was thinking about it this week as I was going through this. You know, a lot of people, when God blesses them with children, they have children, they a lot of times want to go to the Bible to find a name for their kid. I don't know anybody named their kid Pilot. You know anybody named their kid Pilot? <laughs> Jezebel, not too often. Not much of that going on. Baal, don't hear that too often. Yeah, Pilot, not a good guy. But Pilot, again, he's not a Jew. He's kind of outside this circle. And at the end of this back and forth with Jesus Christ, again, remember the thing in Matthew, he marveled how Jesus would not defend himself. Pilate, give him credit. He came to the right conclusion. (laughs) He said, Jesus is not guilty. I find no fault in him at all. That's right. Pilate came to the right understanding of what was going on here. He wasn't prejudiced against Jesus Christ. His Roman kingdom was under no threat whatsoever by Jesus Christ and his disciples. The Jews' religious kingdom was under incredible threat because Jesus stood for truth and they were perverted in their version of it. And so their kingdom was threatened. That's why they attacked Jesus. Pilate's like, from my government, we're good. (laughs) He's all right. And so all the other people that were witnessing against him, again, they didn't corroborate with one another. And he's like, there's no crime. There's nothing wrong. I, I find no fault in this man. And if you're just reading and stop here, you're like, awesome, not guilty, he's free, he doesn't have to go any further, it's all going to come to a head. No, because there's a problem. This is going to be another piece of free advice that just comes along with the scriptures. Are you ready? Here's the problem. Pilate is a governor. He's a politician. And job number one of every politician Stay in office. That's, that's free and that's good. And if you didn't say amen, you should have thought it. <laughs> that is job number one of every politician. And if eventually they get around to voting on what you want, okay. But they're going to keep their people happy to whatever level they need to so that they can stay in office. And staying in office then is of greater importance to a politician than doing justice. Know that. Know that. And so, this is weird to me, but it says in verse 39 that you have a custom. It's Passover. It's kind of like, this is Christmas. You know what? Our custom is to make you Jews happy. It's Passover. We're going to take a guilty guy and let him go free. We do it every year you know what, this Jesus isn't really guilty. Wouldn't you like to have your king go free? It's Passover. By the way, that is ridiculous law. Who thought of that? It's a compromise. It's what politicians are great at. That's all they do is compromise. And I'm not trying to hack on them. I'm seriously telling you that this is, this is what they do. And that's what he's doing. Look, This Jesus isn't guilty. These Jews are fired up. How can I make everybody happy? I know. It's Passover. This will be great. I don't have to judge Jesus. His wife was bugging him. Don't don't judge this guy. He's, He's more than just a guy. 
And he's like, I can set Jesus free. I can still say to the Jews, I tried him. This is going to be great. And they're like, no thanks. Give us Barabbas. He's trying to work out a deal. He's trying to work out a compromise. He's trying to go halfway but not all the way. He has the right information. He came to a personal conclusion that was accurate about the person of Jesus Christ. He just didn't act on it. He chose to compromise. And that's a problem. That's a huge problem. Because it just doesn't work. This releasing him and his compromise just didn't work. It's not in this story, but after that didn't work, he heard Herod was in town. Herod is the guy who was the king over the region of Galilee, and when he heard Jesus was a Galilean, he's like, oh, I know, I'll get out of this by sending him to Herod. Well, he sends him to Herod. Herod talks to him for a little while and says, no, I don't see anything wrong with him. Sends him back to Pilate. That didn't work either. Man, how am I going to get out of this thing? And it's a picture of how we stand before the Lord thinking, how am I going to get out of this thing? And Jesus just doesn't go away. Do you notice that? He just doesn't go away. He just keeps coming back. And so Pilate caves. He gives in. He releases Barabbas. He keeps Jesus Christ. He's more interested in his own well-being than he is in the truth. Pilate, probably a little put off when he says, everyone that's of the truth hears my voice. Pilate then says, what is truth? And although that little short sentence has a question mark at the end of it, I propose to you that it was not a question intended to be answered. It was more of a rhetorical question. Because here's, here's, here's how it played out, I promise you. What is truth? And it says, immediately, he left. He didn't wait around for an answer. It's not like he went, oh, Jesus, what is truth? No, what is truth? In other words, who worries about truth? Truth isn't on the radar. We're just trying to make a deal here. Who cares about truth? That's what he's saying. And so he just can't imagine. So here's Pilate. He's got the right info. He concludes accurately, but he doesn't act on it. And as a result, and we'll see later on in the story, but when ultimately it comes back, he sends Jesus to be beaten and ultimately comes back. And he, you know the story where he pours water and washes his hands, and my hands are clean from the blood of this innocent man. I don't care how many times he symbolically washes his hands. Pilate's hands are not clean from the blood of this innocent man. Pilate is guilty. Pilate is guilty because Pilate, like all of us, had a personal responsibility to act on the truth of the right conclusion that he was given. He came to the right conclusion and he had to do something with it. Y'all, many of you grew up in church. Many of you know the Bible stories. Many of you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know that he died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. You know that he is the only way, the truth, and the life. You know these things, but just knowing them is not enough. Those are the right things, by the way. You must personally respond. You must personally receive him as your Lord and Savior. You must personally act on the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And if you don't personally do that, Nobody can do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Your friends can't do it for you. Nobody can do it for you. And if you don't do it for yourself, you're just like Pilate. You had the right info. You just didn't do anything with it. And that's a tragedy. So that's what we have with Jesus Christ. Personal responsibility to decide what we were going to do. It's much more than just acknowledging a set of facts. When you do personally receive him, you know what he does? He gives you eternal life. He gives you a free pardon. He gives you mercy instead of judgment. And that's what we see in Barabbas. Barabbas, the very little bit that the Bible says about Barabbas. Barabbas is a robber. You go to other places in the Gospels, Barabbas is a murderer. Barabbas is guilty of insurrection 
an uprising, a public uprising against the government. Barabbas is guilty, and everybody knows it. Barabbas, that's an interesting name. Bar, the first part, B-A-R, that means a son. Maybe some of you recall what it referred to Simon Peter at one time, and Jesus called him Simon uh, Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah means Simon, son of Jonah. Okay? And another, and Abba is father. We're going to cry unto God, Abba, father, right? So Bar-Abbas is a son of a father. <laughs> Woo. What does that mean? That means that Barabbas is every man. We are all sons and daughters of fathers. Jesus Christ is the son of the father. And Barabbas is guilty. And Jesus Christ is not. And Barabbas goes free at Jesus' expense. Sound familiar? Any and every man, whosoever will, can go free and receive mercy by allowing Jesus Christ to take your punishment. And that's what he offers to you. That's why he did what he did when he died on the cross for your sins. And if you have not personally, responsibly responded to the facts, the accurate facts, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, he lived a sinless and perfect life, he died on the cross to offer to you the free gift of eternal life, and you can have that if you will willingly and personally confess your sins, surrender your life to him, invite him to come and be the Lord, the boss of your life, and to save you from your sins and give you a gift of eternal life. If you will do that, you, sir, ma'am, guilty, go free. And Jesus takes your sin and pays for it. It's the greatest offer in the whole world. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I get it. I'm Barabbas. I got it 30 years ago. And many people in here have already understood that and acted. But maybe you're here like Pilate and you're like, I understand the facts about Jesus, but I've never made that personal decision. Good news. Now's your chance. Let's do that. Let's all pray together.